Good morning. I'm Jared. I'm the Urbana Location Pastor. I'm really excited to be with you guys this morning. Whenever I come back over to Champaign, it feels a little bit like coming back to a family reunion. And I mean that in a really positive way. Uh, Mostly I mean that because sometimes I get hugs and kisses out here from people that I don't really know who they are or how, if I'm related to them, or maybe it's like a distant aunt, not really sure. And also because you guys get like food that I don't always get, like bagels. We don't get those sort of things in Urbana. So Thank you for having me, you know, to our family reunion. It's really nice to be back. So uh, we are starting a new series today. It's called Be the Church. We say something every week, every week. You guys might remember this if you've been around for a while. Be the church where you live, work, and play. Go be the church where you live, work, and play. So we thought that it would be a really good opportunity for us to uh, just take a few weeks and explain really what we mean when we say that. So what if I told you that you could be the church or you could worship in your pajamas. And I don't mean by watching Facebook Live. Or what if I told you that you could be at church on the golf course, or in the gym, or when you mow the lawn? What if I told you that? Would you believe me? Or would you think that sounds too good to be true? Or would you think that, oh, this guy sounds like a broken record? Or maybe he's just trying to convince me to come to more events, or to be one of those crazy Christian freaks? Well, actually, I promise you that what we want for you is so much crazier than that. What we want for you is to experience what it's like to worship with your whole life. What we want for you is for you to understand what it begins to worship with your whole life every single day. And what that takes is guts. What that takes is constant surrender. But mostly what that takes is an unbelievable amount of Jesus transforming your life. So today, like I said, we're beginning a new series called Be the Church. And what we want to do is help each other understand what it means to be the church where we live, work, and play. Because these words aren't just a metaphor. We believe that these words are a calling for who we are supposed to be. We believe that the church is who we are, not just where we attend. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to look at the ways that God and his word have called us to be the church beyond these doors. And I think that that begins with asking just a simple question. What is God worth to you? What is God worth to you? Because this process begins with understanding what it means to truly worship. And to understand what it means to truly worship, we have to ask the question, what is God worth? What is the relationship with the almighty God who is so powerful that time and space can't contain him, that our minds can't even begin to fathom him? What is the relationship with that God worth to you? So we're going to spend our morning walking through scripture and allowing the Holy Spirit to begin to unpack what God is worth to us. So let's open our Bibles. If you guys have them this morning or your Bible app, or you can follow along on the screens, we're going to be in Romans, the book of Romans. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. If you guys are unfamiliar with scripture, it's in the New Testament. That's the second half of the Bible. And it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then Romans. Hopefully that helps you find it. So in Romans, it's written by Paul, the author Paul. Paul is one of the first uh, church planners in the gospel. 
And Paul is writing to a group of people called the Romans. They would have been people, uh, they were like a church that he would have planted in Rome. And in this church, it would have been made up of a group of Greeks and Jews, Jews that were converted to Christianity. So starting in here, uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul writes, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. Our former creative arts pastor, Jeremy Hopkins, uh, left me a book years ago before he moved away. And this book was called The Way of the Worshiper. And it just sat on my shelf collecting dust for a long time. But whenever we started to head towards this series and I learned that I was going to be preaching on worship, I thought, you know what? There's a book I might want to dive into. So I opened up this book, and one of the first stories that I read began to break me and shake me. And here's the story that was happening in this book. The author, Buddy Owens, tells a story about a conference. He's, he's a worship pastor and a teaching pastor at a church for many years, and Buddy goes to this conference, and he's teaching at this ministry conference so that everyone in the audience is basically a pastor of some sort in their own churches, but they come together to learn from each other. So Buddy is teaching, and at the end of his lesson, or at the end of his sermon, this other pastor comes down to the front weeping, so Buddy goes down afterwards, and he's talking to this guy and trying to figure out, you know, what's going on, man? How can I pray for you? What's going on in your ministry? And this man, through the tears, begins to unravel this story about how for 25 years, he has diligently served the Lord in his ministry out of a sense of duty. He's diligently served out of a sense of duty, but never out of joy. See, he has served the Lord for so long, but he's never understood what it meant to delight in God. The Lord has always been his master, but he's never been his father. He's never understood what it meant to be the son of God, to be, sorry, not to be the son of God. He's never understood what it meant to be a son, but he understands fully what it means to be a servant. And so as Buddy begins to talk to him, he realizes that this man's life and his ministry, he was devoted to working hard for God, to prove to God what he was worth through his service. And he begins to paint this picture of if God lives in this house, if God lives in this house, that this man's ministry, he had been working his whole life to come in through the back door, into the presence of God through the back door the servant's entrance. But God is calling us as his family to come in through the front door, the family entrance. We are the sons and daughters of God and we're called to come in through the family entrance. And then he realized that this man's entire ministry, his entire life, his service that he'd been giving to God every day when he drove to work, he viewed his life and his service to God as work. Every day when he drove to the church, every Sunday when he drove to church, it was work. But God is calling us to view coming to worship, coming to church, coming into the presence of God. He's calling us to view it as like coming home. And when I read that, it broke me. 
Because I think for so many of us, we can view our bringing our gifts to God, our service to God as our duty. We view it as our doing our due diligence for the church, the thing we have to do. But God is calling it to be the thing like coming home. This wonderful thing that we should delight in who God is. It should bring us joy to worship. It should bring us joy to serve. It shouldn't be work. So how many of us try to come in to the presence of God through the servant's entrance instead of through the front door? How many of us view it as work instead of like coming home? I think so many of us view it as a burden, but instead our worship should always be a response to something God has already done. See, coming to God doesn't begin with our acts of service. It begins with God's mercy. It doesn't begin with our work because we can't earn our way to God. And the story that I was just telling, this man at the conference had spent his life and his entire ministry serving and working hard to work his way closer to God because he wanted to prove to God how much he was worth to him. But that's only worship. That is only worship if it is done in view and in response of something God has already done for us. See, I'm a broken person. I fail to hold my tongue. I rarely say the right things. Sometimes I know exactly what God wants me to do, and I will do the opposite thing. Sometimes that's because I'm lazy or I'm tired or I'm too bitter. But God, because he loves us and because he delights in us, offered us a saving grace, a chance to mend those damages that our sin has caused. He sent his son, Jesus, who died in our place. We call that our atonement. Jesus was our atonement, our sacrifice for our sins. Jesus was perfect. Jesus was spotless. Jesus was blameless. Jesus should not have died. Jesus should not have died, but Jesus had to die for us. He had to die for us. But then Jesus awoke from the dead. He awoke from the dead. He rose from the dead three days later and he walked out of the grave. And because he walked out of the grave, because he took the keys from death back, now God has the power and shows it to us to say that there is a promise of life. I hold it, God is saying, I hold it in my hand, the keys to life, and I'm giving it to you. You can have eternal life with me. That's the promise that we have in God. So when I say that our worship is a response to something God has done, that's what I'm talking about. We worship because of what God has done. We are here to sing these songs, to praise in the morning on Sundays because of what God has done. It's always in response to something God has done. As Paul would say it, in view of God's mercy. In view of God's mercy. And all we can do is worship in response. Romans 12.1 continues on. Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, 
to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. What I think is so revealing about this part of the passage, uh, you wouldn't necessarily know if you didn't dive into who the original audience of this passage was. So I mentioned earlier that this passage was written to Greeks and Jews that had recently converted to Christians, a, a Roman audience. So in case you didn't know, we are not the original readers of the Bible. So uh, Paul did not know us, as the same as you do not know Paul necessarily. Uh, Paul wrote this thousands of years ago to a group of Christians within the church in Rome. This church was made up of two groups of people, Greeks and Jews who had recent, recently converted to Christianity. So of these two different types of people, they had wildly different views on how to worship God because they came from very different backgrounds, very different religious backgrounds. Um, so the first would be the Greeks. Greeks understood their body as trash. They would not have used their bodies to worship God. And by this, I mean they worshiped God with their mind and their spirit. Your mind and your spirit would live on, but your body was something to be run ragged. You could eat what you want, do whatever you want. You didn't take care of your body because it would die and it wouldn't last, so there was no reason to take care of it. So when Paul is saying to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, all of a sudden the Greeks are hearing, my body is important. It's not just my mind and my spirit anymore, but my body is now part of the equation. God doesn't just want my mind and what's inside of me. He wants the entire thing. He wants all of me. My body too. And then the other side of the coin are the Jews. They're hearing this too. And for them, the idea of your body being sacred was not new. In fact, this was as old as the Jews. They, they would have spent their lives taking care of their body. They would always eat the right thing. I mean, they were... I mean, they were really good at this. Their bodies were sacred. But this idea of their body as a living sacrifice would have been new. See, see, the Jews would have had this thing called a temple where they would go to worship. And in the temple, there would be this altar. And at the altar, they would bring their sacrifices. And these sacrifices could be an animal or a meal or money or whatever. They would, bring them to the, they would bring them to the temple and the priests would then give this sacrifice over to God and the, and the presence of God would come down to accept the sacrifice. And these sacrifices could be for all different sorts of things to cover different ranges of sins or repentance or atonement. But the point is that those, those sacrifices were never themselves. They would never lay their own body down on the altar but Paul is here calling them to put your own body as a living sacrifice. You're not slaying your own body. You're a living sacrifice. Now the choices you make, the way you live is now the sacrifice. There's no longer a need to put an animal or a meal or money on the altar because Jesus already did that. And it was good enough. There's no need for that anymore. But your life is now the living sacrifice for God. So essentially what Paul is saying is you are the church. Your bodies are now the temple. 
Your bodies are not a temple and they're sacred and to be taken care of. Have you ever heard that before? My body is the temple. This is just one of the places in scripture where you can see that. Your body is a temple and to be taken care of. They're sacred. And now your lives are the sacrifice, which are holy and pleasing to God. Not because of anything we've done, but because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus, now our sacrifices are holy. The things that we do are holy. We are made holy through Jesus. So our lives are now the sacrifice. And the Spirit of God is now living in us. In the old temple, the Spirit of God would come down and dwell in this place called the Holy of Holies. And since we are now the temple, now the Spirit of God dwells inside of us. The reason that we can be the church where we live, work, and play is because we are literally the church everywhere we go. Everywhere we go, we are the church. The church is who we are, not just where we attend. It's not just where we attend on Sunday mornings. Everywhere you walk out the door to go to, you are the church. Paul goes on to say at the end of verse 1, this is your true and proper worship. To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, this is your true and proper worship. If I had a record scratch noise, this is where I'd play it. That can't be right, Paul. I think you got it backwards. True and proper worship is when Aaron and Josh get five songs in on Sunday morning instead of four. Am I right? That's true and proper worship. Like two fast songs at the front, three, three ballads at the end. That's some true and proper worship. I think that we've done this thing within the modern context of church where, and this hopefully is this familiar with you guys, that we, we've done this thing where we, we say that Worship is for the musically inclined and the artistic. And if you don't fit in that box, then maybe worship just isn't your thing. That you can serve or you can be a part of the church in some other way. But that's not what worship is. Worship is offering your body as a living sacrifice. That is not worship. Worship is not just the music. It's not just the arts. Within the modern church, we've been so guilty of doing this. But here's the crazy thing. Worship is not even exclusively a religious concept. In the modern context, the word really just means to declare the worth of something. Worship just means to declare the worth of something. Not even someone or a divine being, but literally just something I think the definition means that because there's a recognition that we all worship something. We all worship something. So that brings me back to the question, what is God worth to you? Because if we all worship something, whether it's God, football, careers, sex, politics, our families, whatever it is, our lives will be, they'll start to declare the worth of whatever those things are that we worship. So if we can begin to answer the question, what is God worth to us? We might stand a chance. Because our life will reflect his value, both in the way, what we say and more convincingly by how we live. 
Something I love about this passage, uh, if uh, they want to put it back on the screen here, the, the word that they use for worship, true and proper worship, the word for worship that Paul uses here is the word latrieia. And latrieia literally just means this, that to which a person gives their whole life. That to which a person gives their whole life. So when Paul says this, this is how it would literally be translated. This is your true and proper thing to which you would give your whole life. That's starting to make more sense, right? In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice that's holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper thing to which you should give your whole life. That's worship. I love that definition. Not because it's easy, because it's definitely not easy, but it's exactly what we need. Whenever I go to uh, one of these um, like worship conferences or worship event, or sometimes even when I go to like our here night of worship nights that we have occasionally, or a Sunday morning, I do this thing sometimes where I leave and I, I've got this sort of like, ah, yeah, like awesome experience high. And then I do this really ridiculous thing in my mind. I go, oh man, I need to prioritize this more. So when can I go to another worship night? What, what's the next worship concert I can go to? You know what? I need to make, I need to prioritize this and I need to go to like two more conferences this year. And I think if I tried hard, I could probably get Josh and Aaron to do two more nights of worship this year. I could probably get it on the calendar if I tried pretty hard. And meanwhile, inside, the Holy Spirit is screaming at me saying, you could have so much more. You could have so much more than five worship nights a year and two conferences and one Hillsong concert. You could have so much more than that. And God is worth so much more than that. And I'm settling We're not called to settle. We're called to worship with our entire lives. Bible commentary writer William Barclay described worshiping God in this way. I love this. He said, real worship is the offering of everyday life to him. Real worship is the offering of everyday life to him. Worship with your life not just your Sunday. Worship with your life, not just your Sunday. This can look very different for different people. I think this can look wildly different for different people, and here's what I mean. We did a series a long time ago uh, where we, we made some salads on stage. I don't know if you guys were here for this or remember this, but on one side we had a salad that was uh, just doused in ranch. And uh, so you got this, you know, this beautiful salad, and then we just like pour a bucket of ranch on it. And what happens when you do that is uh, maybe you love ranch, or maybe you don't, but either way, if you take any bite of this salad, you're only going to taste ranch. Doesn't matter what else is in that salad. I mean, you could pour like crunch berries in there with that salad, all you're going to taste is ranch. Then you make this other salad, and it's got like a nice mixture of vegetables, and then you pour, you know, you do this little like olive oil kind of based dressing on it. And then what happens with this one is you begin to taste a nice sort of blend of all the ingredients and you actually begin to taste the flavors that were built into it instead of just the dressing. And what we were pointing out when we made that illustration was this. 
God has not called us to all look and act and sound exactly the same. He's called us to be unified. And when we talk about worship, God has not called us all to worship the same, but he has called us all to worship with our entire lives. So your worship may not be through music. Your worship may not be through the arts. Your worship may look wildly different than mine does, but you are still called to offer your life as a living sacrifice in view of God's mercy. So maybe your worship is planting new seeds this spring because your garden, in your garden, as you reflect on the new life that God has given you. Or maybe you could read scripture daily for pleasure instead of just an obligation. Or maybe you could worship through using your gifts or your talents. Or maybe you could worship by being compassionate and giving someone a ride to their doctor's appointments because you know that they don't have a way to get there and you could use that time to talk about your faith. You could use your worship, you could worship through going to work, planning a wedding, cooking dinner. If cooking dinner was an opportunity for you to respond to what God has been doing in your life. The list could literally go on forever because anything could be worship. If your focus was, was on God and how you were responding to what God was doing in your life. And there is so much freedom in that. How beautiful it is to be able to know that our entire life could be worship. We don't have to wait for a worship event. We don't have to wait for a conference that we can't afford to get that momentary high of worship. That our entire life could be that. But that's not easy to get there. And I can't honestly stand here on stage and tell you what it's like to have arrived there because I haven't. But that doesn't change the calling. That doesn't change the fact that we are called to be a church that devotes our lives to worship. Paul's letters are always deeply theological and challenging. And this one is no different. But he rarely leaves his readers without some grasp of how to practically live out what challenges before them. And I think he does this well in verse two. Paul writes in verse two and says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Do not conform, but be transformed. Uh, the, the, the two Greek words that are used here for conform and transformed are schema and morphe. And I think the really cool thing about these words is schema, that word actually is, is rooted in this idea of this, this part of you that can change. It's, it's kind of like the outside of you that you can adapt, like a chameleon. It's like the skin that changes colors no matter wherever you are, you just blend in and fit in. And what Paul is calling you to do is not to just change to your surroundings, not to just shape shift and look different no matter where you are so that you blend in and look different, but instead be transformed, which that word is morphe. And morphe is the inside of you. It's this part of you that it doesn't change. It's like, it's your inside. It's like who you are, your spirit. But the interesting thing about this word is 
this morphe is you couldn't change it if you wanted to. You don't actually have the ability to change this part of you. Whereas schema, you could change it at will, but your morphe, you're not able to change it. So here you have this part where you could change this whenever you wanted. Here you couldn't change it if you wanted to. And that's why this part he's saying, this actually, you have to let God do it. This is in your control. This you have to let God do it. So what Paul is saying is, don't change yourself. Don't try to change yourself to make yourself look good, to make yourself look like a better Christian, or to fit in with other Christians, or to fit in with the world, but instead, allow God to renew your mind, to change your mind, to, sh to shape your mind to look more like his mind, so that we begin to understand what his will is for our life. I can't tell you how many times I've sat across from people as they ask me to pray for them that they would understand God's will, that they would just understand what God's plan was in everything, for why something was happening and they just didn't see the bigger picture. And here Paul is actually saying that through worship, through our focus on God, he could change our mind, rewire, reshape our minds to better understand his and the end goal is that we would better know God's own plan. That's unbelievable. God is actually offering us a chance to better know his mind. I think that's an unbelievable gift from God. G.K. Beale, the author of the book, We Become What We Worship, wrote it this way. He said, what people revere, they resemble, either for ruin or restoration. In other words, we become more like what we focus on. We become more like what we focus on. And I think that is some of the best, worst news I've ever been given. And here's why. Because if I'm going along and I am following God, I'm following Jesus, and it's all going well, then there is only one outcome. I am going to reflect Jesus more and more. But on the flip side of that coin, if I claim to love God and follow Jesus, but my focus is not on Jesus, I am not going to reflect Jesus. I'm going to look like whatever that other thing is. And that is the case for all of us. It doesn't matter what we say or claim if our focus goes anywhere else. Eventually, inevitably, we're going to start to look like whatever it is we're focused on. But if we can begin to offer our minds to God more and more, then inevitably, he will rewire us to better understand even his plan. God's plans. I think one of the most amazing things that we can experience through a life of worship is the more we can focus on God, the more God can transform us. And it doesn't require our work. It doesn't require our knowledge. It truly only requires our surrender. Let's move to a time of response. There's a word within the church that we've used for centuries uh, to, to try and, to try and uh, explain and exclaim our desire to truly worship God and exclaim, explain at the same time truly who God is. This word is hallelujah, or sometimes written alleluia. This word literally means praise 
the Lord. It's a way of saying that, but also saying how holy God is at the same time. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We're going to do a new song this morning. It's called Endless Hallelujah. And the whole point of this song is for us to be declaring to God that we would endlessly praise him with our lives. Endlessly praise God with our lives. What a perfect song to sing this morning. It's the entire point of the message. That our entire life be a declaration of who God is. That our life, if someone were to look at it and write down what our life was about, that they would say, their life is a declaration of how much God is worth to them. I want to read a couple of the lines from the song. One of the verses in the chorus here. It says, In the moments when you go unnoticed, in the ordinary day-to-day, countless miracles of life around us point like arrows to your name. So let our voices rise. All creation cries singing out an endless alleluia. From this moment on, join in heaven's song, singing out an endless alleluia. I think that we have a tendency sometimes to look for God in the big, in the grand, in the huge mountaintop moments. Or sometimes on the other side, we look for God in these super low, down moments. We have nowhere else to turn, so we turn to God. But today, I think we need to recognize that God is God in the quiet. He's not just God in the fire and in the wind and in the storm, but he's also God in the stillness. He's God in the ordinary. He's God in your day-to-day. I don't know about you, but for many of us, I've put, I've put my life on autopilot half the time. So I don't even begin to understand what it means to turn over my day-to-day life to God. This morning is an opportunity to turn off autopilot. To take back our lives into our hands just so we can give it back to God. Not to keep it, to give it to God. Our life isn't ours anymore. It's God's. I think that God has called us to something so much bigger, so much better than a Sunday morning worship experience. This isn't a question about our Sunday morning routine. This isn't a question about boosting our Sunday morning attendance. This is a question about what is God worth to you. So we're going to respond this morning. We're going to respond through the song. We're going to respond through singing because the worship and singing are not always the same thing. Singing is one way to worship. So we're going to sing. We're going to declare our praises to the Lord. 
And we're also going to respond through communion. We believe here in this church, we believe that Jesus is the only way to God. We believe that his death and resurrection leads us to resurrection life in God. So we take communion every week because we need that saving grace every single day. So if you believe that, then take communion with us this morning. There are stations around the room where we can take that. We also respond through our generosity. If you are sitting here this morning and you believe that God is moving you to respond through generosity, if you believe that God is calling you to give up something this morning, then please do that. We have give and respond boxes around the room or you can use our give app. God calls us to worship in all different kinds of ways. So maybe this morning, God is calling you to worship through prayer. There are prayer benches up here at the front. Sometimes the best worship you can have is just to allow God to speak. Sometimes it can be just to sit in the presence of God. So maybe today you just need to do that. Maybe it's not to sing at all. Maybe it's just to allow yourself to sit there and allow God to speak to you. I'm going to be over here by the cross. If you want someone to pray with, I'd be happy to pray with you as well. This morning, I want everyone here to think for themselves, what is God worth to you? Let's stand. Let's respond together.